We are actually in our final installment of a series entitled Being Rich in What Matters Most. And I'm going to continue that series today. Today will be the conclusion of it. Um, so go ahead and pull out your message notes. We're going to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Uh, today I'm going to talk about being rich toward God, rich toward God. God has blessed us. We've talked about this over the last three, four weeks, about the blessing of God in our life. As Americans, we are so blessed. We're the, the most blessed, really, when you put us in comparison around the world. If you make over $33,000 a year combined total household income, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. And I think it's important, just as Paul told Timothy, for me as your pastor, to remind you that you're rich, to remind you that you're blessed. You know, sometimes you just need someone just to remind you. It's just, just a reminder of, and we see Paul telling Timothy in verse 17, he says, command those who are rich. Now he is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is a pastor, but he's talking to the congregation, look, I need you to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. I mean, you know what it's like as a believer, you many times came to God in the lowest point of your life, you were down and out, and you, marriage was falling apart, your finances, you're going bankrupt, I mean, just low, down, and dirty, you were just in the mud. And yet here you give your life to God. And I think the greatest challenge to Christianity is not struggle, but blessing. That when God begins to bless us, we begin to focus now on the provision and lose sight of the provider. We migrate our hope from God to stuff. And he's saying, look, don't migrate your hope, but keep your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for your enjoyment. You've heard me say this. I don't want you to feel guilty. We just want to feel grateful. God, we're grateful for your blessing. And he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And that's what we talked about last week. Hopefully you did the seven-day challenge. I saw lots of great posts about, hey, I paid for this person's meal. Um, I was talking to Stefan, and he said, you know, Pastor, I realize there's a lot of people in our church that are struggling with cancer, and Stefan struggled with that in the past. And thank God, God has healed him, and he's moving forward. And he said, look, I'm going to create a Facebook group where I can encourage people and help them realize that there's hope when you feel hopeless. And I thought, man, what a great inspiration Stefan is. And that's the point of last week was, hey, we're going we're gonna to do good deeds that point back to God so that the world will see not that you're good, but that there is a God in heaven. And so he says, command them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, you will lay up for yourselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is true life. So truly life. What's that mean? It means, look, just living doesn't mean you're really living. You can be breathing but not be living the life that God wants you to live. And so how do we see that we are living the life that we're called to live? It's the way we invest our time. It's the way we invest our resources. It's the way we tell people about Jesus. When's the last time you've talked to someone about King Jesus? You, you know how it is. When you first got saved, you were telling everybody. Like they knew how you were living your life, and you were going one direction, and there was a radical turn to a new direction. And they're like, what's going on? You're like, I gave my life to Jesus. But then a little time passes, a little gratitude fades, and we stop talking about the one who saved us, who changed us, who transformed our life. 
So is it about just doing good things? No, it's about leading them to Jesus. And today my desire is that you would understand that God wants us to be rich towards him too. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. This is where Jesus, he is speaking, and Jesus is kind of in your face. In this passage, he's got a language that he is sharing with us that's pretty strong. And look at what he says in verse 19. He says, do not store for yourselves treasure on earth. He doesn't say maybe, possibly. It's not a suggestion. Jesus is making a statement and I think what we do in reading the Bible many times is we read his words as suggestions. Oh, that's a great suggestion. Oh, I said, no, no, no. If he's a king over your life, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. You, you, I, I, we forget we do not live in Christianity as a democracy. You do not, I do not get the right to vote. It is a theocracy, which means he is a king over our life. We don't have a right to vote. We get to surrender and say, yes, sir, absolutely. And if there's anything in me that offends you, change me because I want to serve you and love you and fulfill your purpose in my life. Go ahead, King Jesus, and tell me what to do. He says, don't store for yourselves treasures on this earth. Look, he says, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He says, but store up for yourselves treasure, where? Say it again. In heaven. What? I mean, think about this. You may have been saved for, for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, a couple of years, but if you've never heard this, it should radically change your entire paradigm. That he's saying, look, it's not about the nice things that you have in this earth. God wants you to enjoy it, but there is a greater, and that greater is to store for yourselves treasure in heaven, in eternity, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So what does it mean, Pastor? That means one day you're going to be standing before God Almighty in heaven, and you will receive the treasure that you have vested in this life into heaven. Think about that. And my concern is I don't want to have a church who made it into heaven but made it as paupers, poor people. Standing in the foot of Jesus, having escaped fire and hell and death, but yet they stand there without any rewards from this earthly life. Wow. You'll receive the treasure, what? That you invested. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. Now, this is where Jesus, he's going to tell a parable about a rich man. Now, a parable is a fictitious story. But he's going to use it because he wants you to understand something that's complicated. And I love that about Jesus. It talks about in the Bible, Jesus never spoke to the crowd without telling them things in parables. And so it's not a real story, but he's going to use it to illustrate a spiritual truth to us that I really believe, if we can grab a hold of today, will radically change your life and the condition in which you spend eternity. Not where you spend eternity but what kind of treasures you have in eternity. Look at verse 16. And he told him this parable. So it's a fictitious story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. So what's he saying? He said, look, man, it was a good year. 
Stock market's doing well. My real estate investment's doing good. Business is flourishing. So this man is having a really good year, and he ends up richer than he actually was, but now he doesn't have a place to put all the wealth and resources that he has acquired. So here he is in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Now, if we're not looking through the light of eternity, if we don't know anything about heaven, according to this world, that's a great investor. He would be a role model, someone who is making room for the wealth that he has acquired for himself. But in the light of eternity, look, he didn't realize that that's not what he was supposed to do. And he mistakenly thinks that he's got extra time in this life. Look at the next verse. It says, so what is he going to do? He's going to take life easy. He's going to eat. He's going to drink. He's going to be merry. But then God said to him, you fool. Now, God didn't say he was a fool because he was rich. God didn't say he was a fool because he had more than he had the previous year. In fact, that's a good steward. God wants us to be good stewards of what he gives us to have more and to create wealth. The reason he calls him a fool is because of what he does with his wealth. See, God's not mad at your wealth. God gave you the ability to get extra, extra. But this man is a fool because he put all the extra for himself. In this world, look, it says the next verse, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. So in other words, your life is over. You made all this wealth, you did all this extra, but now your time has expired. His life has been demanded. And then look at what it says. Then those, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So you worked hard for it. But you know what you worked hard for, someone else is going to get. So you thought you were going to enjoy it, but, but you're not even going to get to enjoy it because life is so fleeting. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. And then look at what Jesus says as a concluding statement, and this is how we're ending our series. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Wow. Wow. See, he's not talking about don't be a good steward. God's going to bless you. But how is it that we live our life to be rich toward God? We've got to realize that this life is not all that there is. There's an illusion. There's a facade that, that we think that we get comfortable in being wealthy and, and having the comforts of life. And if you're not careful, you will be lulled asleep to think that this life is all that there is, that I'm going to step into eternity and start a new life. No, what you do today matters for eternity. What you do today will actually set up your life and how you live in heaven for eternity. So here's the key. You've got to find out how to migrate as much of what you have here into heaven's economy. Do you understand that if we only live a few short lives, 60, 70, 80 years, that my, my role is, God, how do I migrate these, these blessings that you've given me into an eternal perspective? And the way that we do that is we leverage our lives and our resources for the kingdom of God. This life is a preparation for the next life, that what you do matters in the light of eternity. That's why he said in Matthew, don't store for yourselves treasures here on this earth, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven.
If you really grab a hold of this, it'll change the way you live your life. If you really grab a hold of this, it'll change the way you make decisions and the value system that you have. And because really your values determine your behavior. See, one of the values here is God is our anchor and people are our passion. What does that mean? That means we leverage everything we have to reach people. Why? Because people are their passion. We don't take stuff with us. It's all about people. And we value people. God first, people second. We're going after you. And, and think about your values. What you believe determines how you behave, not what you say you believe. I mean, yeah, if, you, if you say you believe it, but there's no action, then it's not real. It's pseudo. It's false. It's a mirage. We got a lot of pretenders. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like we pretend, we, and it's, it's a wish. Like we wish we were, but, but it's, that's not how it functions in heaven's economy. It's not, I wish, it's I did. There's action. Yeah, think about the weather is a great example of this. You know, weathermen get a bad rap and probably should. But, you know, they falsely predict if it's going to rain. If you believe it's going to rain, what do you take with you? An umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because you believe the prediction of what they said. Think about Hurricane Harvey in 2017. I mean, they said the hurricane was coming. And if you believed them, you evacuated. For the rest of us, we're pulling ourselves out. Stuck in our homes, flooded in. Why? Well, we didn't believe and didn't have a value of what that weatherman said would actually come to pass. And so when you look at your life, when you read God's word, if you really don't believe God's word, then your actions won't produce what God is asking for you to produce. We've got we to gotta have more than lip service. There's got to be action. There's, there's really got to be something inside of us that says, God, you're, you're trying to help me. You're trying to set me up, recognizing that I can get lulled to sleep, and it's so easy to do. That's why we got to be careful about all the extra comfortable, nice things like I love them, but man, you ought to give something really nice away occasionally just to remember that that's stuff, and that's a person, and there's a huge difference, and God, I'm going to give it away just to continue to foster generosity in my life that it it doesn't have me, but I have it. This life is preparation for the next, and if that's the truth, then we're going to value three things, three things that I value that I want you to write down. The first thing that we value is we value stewardship over ownership. We value stewardship over ownership. See, if you're an owner, you talk differently than if you're a steward, steward, manager, however you'd like to put it. If you're an owner, it's mine, my house my car, my paycheck, my time, my life. Well, that's ownership. And that's how the world lives, right? The world says it's my, 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 mine. It's so funny. You think your first words your kids say is mom and dad. The first one's mine said was mine, mine, mine. Didn't have to teach a kid to say that. Come on, somebody. Didn't have to teach a kid to be selfish and self-centered. I mean, that's the sin nature on the inside of us. What's hard is saying, no, not mine, yours. No, no, not mine, yours. And I'm not advocating poverty. Listen, I live in a nice house, got a nice car, got air-conditioned seats in my nice truck. But I have to tell you that I'm at a place in my life that, God, if you want it, you can have it. It doesn't belong to me. It's all yours. So what we're saying is that, God, we're stewards of what you have entrusted to us. We're not the owners. I first learned this revelation really as a young adult. Uh, my dad, we owned restaurants my whole life, and 
he would never buy anything really nice for him. And I remember the year, I was, I was about 22, 23 years old, but I remember the time we went to a car dealership. Mom, you'll remember, we bought him a convertible BMW Z3. That's what I said. I was like, Dad, you need this. So we went and bought it for him. I think it was just, it was a present for him because he never did anything for himself. And my dad loved that car. He drove that car into the ground and man, he just loved it. But one of the things that I learned was that if I was a good steward, when I borrowed his car, he would let me keep driving it and borrowing it. He was never selfish, but I remember he's like, son, I don't mind you borrowing it, but I'm going to teach you a few things. And this is, this is what I teach my kids. You borrow somebody's car, you fill it back up with gas. Whew, that might actually get you some favor points right there. It ain't even difficult. Don't borrow somebody's car and give it to them. Empty fill it up above where they had it. We don't just do minimums, we go above. He said, son, you clean it, so don't let trash in. If I got trash, you clean my trash. He said, I'm just trying to teach you. And then you take it to a car wash and you clean it and you get it all nice. And he said, son, and then you drive it as if I'm sitting in the passenger seat. Not like you stole it. See, some of you are driving your life like you stole it. And he said, son, if you'll do these things, I'll let you borrow my car anytime. Why? Because you've learned how to take good care of something that does not belong to you. And my concern is that there are Christians that have stolen their life from God, not living to the standard that God has asked them to live to, and then wonder why God won't retrust them with anything more than what they've got. We've got to be rich towards God, stewardship. I'm not an owner, God, I'm a steward. So here's the question, how are you managing what God has given to you? Is your life borrowed or stolen? What are you doing to, to give it back to God when he asks for it? Because again, here it is. It goes back to what we said last week. It, it's just listening to God. God, what do you want me to do? So look, I know that you are, are a little bougie in your groceries. I know that you got organic and pesticide-free and non-GMO and gluten-free, and you spend a little bit more than the average person. I got it. But can you spend some of those bougie groceries on a neighbor who just got out of the hospital? Like, ain't nobody hating on you. God, I mean, and I'm not hating on you for that. Listen, ha, 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 it's all good. You can buy whatever you want, but what I'm asking is, when you buy it, are you willing to give it? Can you just take what you have and bless somebody with it? I don't mind you going to Perry's Steakhouse. I love Perry's Steakhouse. Woo! I love me some good steaks and good food. Now, now, here's all I'm asking. Can you take a couple with you who is struggling in their marriage? Can you just say, hey, why don't we go to Perry's Steakhouse? We don't eat there often, but why don't you come with me? And then, hey, how's your marriage? How's your family? How's your health? How you been doing in church? So it's not about going out to nice places, but can you piggyback the work of God on what you're doing in your life to enjoy what God has given you? You see... It's just a mentality of saying, God, I'm, I'm going to leverage. I, I don't mind having a nice house. You know, buy the nice house. Ask God first. Here's what I always say. I always ask God, especially big purchases. And, and I either hear yes or no. The no is I don't have peace. Or sometimes I don't hear anything. I think when you don't hear anything, God just says you choose. Because if it's no, you won't have peace. And so here we are, go buy the house that you believe God's allowed you to, but here, can you do this? Can you host a small group there? 
Can you just say, God, I'm going to get that house? And every semester, I'm going to leverage it. I'm going to have people walking inside of this house so that I can advance your kingdom. Thank you for blessing me. And when they say, wow, you're blessed, I'm going to point right back to you. Buy the nice car, but can you bring somebody to church with you? You see how you start to leverage what you have, and then you say, well, what are you doing, man? You are making an investment into heaven. There are eternal rewards that God is crediting to your account because of the obedience and eternal focus that you have on what you are leveraging. Second thing I want you to write down is uh, this preparation of the, this life is preparation for the next. So what am I going to do? I'm going to value people over possessions. People over possessions. The only thing that goes to heaven is people. Can't take your stuff with you. Uh, it reminds me of the, the story of a stingy lawyer. There was a stingy lawyer who was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and it proved to be fatal. But before he went, he wanted to prove the old adage, you can't take it with you wrong. And so he devises a plan, and he tells his wife, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the bank and fill these two pillowcases full of money, and I want you to bring those pillowcases back. I want you to put them in the attic right above where I'm at so that when I die, on the way to heaven, I can grab those pillowcases and take the money with me. Wife says, okay, whatever you want, honey. Lawyer passes away. The widow of this lawyer is cleaning the house, eventually makes her way up into the attic, had forgot about those bags of money, but then as she is cleaning, sees them, and then exclaims, you dirty dog, you should have put the money in the basement. <laughs> Can't take it with you. You can't take possessions with you. And yet, how many times do we like things more than people? I mean, we all are, are subject to it. it. Just even as a dad, you know, you got to be careful of the harshness when a kid messes something up. They don't know how much you spent on that. The other day, I wore my really nice um, white suit jacket. Y'all saw my white popping suit jacket. It was nice. And and uh, I, I had a whole car full of girls. They'll tend to come over on Sundays, and they have got lip gloss. Why in the Lord's... Why do you have colored lip gloss sitting in the back seat where my white jacket is? And lo and behold, they got lip, lip gloss on the white jacket. And my first instinct is, what are you thinking? And normally I would have done that. It's taken me 16 years as a dad. <laughs> and I, I caught myself, and I'm not bragging on myself. It took me 16 years because this is not always the case. And I turned around to him and I said, it's okay, it's just stuff. Now, don't, I'm not a hero because that doesn't happen all the time. I mess it up. <laughs> but God is teaching me it's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. That, that's why we have small groups set up outside. It's not to get you busy. It's because we value people. We value relationships. We have a six-week sem six semester started this last week. And I want to encourage you to jump into a small group because we value people, not things. Like, get in relationship. Did you know James chapter 5, verse 16? I love this passage, and I want you to see it, because you've heard me say it a lot, but look at what James chapter 5, verse 16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, I know that's very difficult. First off, some of you don't think you sin. <laughs> no, just play it. <laughs> but it is the truest form of intimacy when you are vulnerable enough with someone to lower your walls 
and to say, look, I blew it. I made a mistake. You know, some of the greatest friends I have in this church are the men's small group that I meet with. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I just told you a time where I actually won as a dad, but how many times I've sat around that circle and I was thinking of Aaron and Jerry Carnes and some of the men in my group and Bobby and Pavel and year after year we'll sit around and I'll tell about the losses. Man, I can't believe I blew it here. I can't believe I said this. Man, I'm struggling here. And it, as a pastor, you can tend to try to keep your wall up and be perfect. But you know what my number one job is? Take myself off the pedestal. I'm a man just like everybody else. I need people just like everybody else. Not because it's giving me something to do, but because I want to be healed. Look at what it says. Confess your sin to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, we, we can come up and get prayer at the end of service and ask God to heal us. God healed me, and, and sometimes he does it miraculously, but other times you go to live it out. You know what God does when you confess your sin? He forgives you. And then he says, go get in a small group so that I can heal you. That's the process of God. Forgiveness comes from God. Healing comes from relationship. And there are so many people that sit in a church. They've been forgiven, but they've never experienced healing. And I'm asking you today on Father's Day, would you take steps to not just be forgiven by God, but experience true healing as a man, as a woman, as a young adult, as a teenager, so that then we can actually go into the broken world as healed healers. Yeah. I, I, I'm concerned the world is not hungry for God because they just see people just as broken as them except we're saved. And the goal is that I'm better today than I was in the past. And I know, men, I want to talk to you specifically on Father's Day. It's, e it's easy for us to say, man, I'm, I'm a man's man. I don't need anybody. We can sit back there and be macho and I'm tough and strong and determined. But I want you to know you're not that tough. You're not that strong. Reminds me of a story of Muhammad Ali. He was one of the greatest heavyweight boxers in history, and he was very demonstrative. He's a lot of fun to walk. He always or watch. He always talks a lot of trash. And there's a story that he was up in an airplane, and he refused to buckle up his seatbelt. And the flight attendant walks up and says, "Hey, Mr. Muhammad, would you please buckle your seatbelt?" And he uh, he told her, "Oh, Superman don't need no seatbelt." And she said, yeah, but Superman didn't need a plane either. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not as tough as we act. We need to let our walls down. You're in a safe place. There's nothing greater than to have healed men that come together in a church that loves you. And then here's a phrase. I want you to, to write this down. This is a really important phrase. If you don't love people and use money, then you will use people and love money. Choice is up to you. And the third thing, this is the last thing I want you to get this morning. What's our value? We value the eternal over the temporal. The eternal over the... So what am I doing? I'm constantly fixing my eyes on eternity. It's not about the here and now. It's about what's coming in eternity. You know, that's one of the things that I love about a funeral. I, I actually like funerals a little bit more than, than weddings. Not because I don't like weddings, but I like the seriousness of a funeral. That that's a moment in time where people will pause and survey their life under the scope and magnitude of finality. That we are going to pass away. It's not if, it's when. We will pass away. It, it's amazing. We have all been given a death sentence. We're all going to die sooner or later. Some sooner, some later. So the question is, 
is, where are we going to spend eternity and how are we going to spend it? And the only way that you can create a culture in your life that when you cross that threshold, Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, is to live with an eye on eternity. Look at James 4.14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We've got to focus on. Focus on what? Investing in eternity. And, and when I say investing in eternity, if you've ever invested, uh, I, I invest in multiple different areas. Uh, the greatest goal that my spiritual mentor, one of my mentors, taught me, Pastor Willie George, was to have five streams of income. Work on having five streams of income in your life. And so there's some stocks that we invest in. And I know when you look at investing in eternity, it can be overwhelming because it's like, what do I do? Well, you just do a little at a time. As I invest in stocks, there's a drip that goes into stocks. And the thing I love about it is I don't stop investing when it seems like it's turning down. That's actually a great time to invest because then when it goes back up, your money will double quicker. And sometimes you can be here in this life and you can say, yeah, but my life is going down. I am going backwards. I lost my job. My marriage isn't so good. I want you to know that's not when to stop investing. That's when you keep investing. We invest in spite of. It doesn't matter what's happening. See, I'm not problem free. I just got something greater to live for than my problems. Why? Because we learn to invest in eternity. Here's, here's a phrase I want you to get. The greatest diff, uh, deterrent to radical generosity is the illusion that earth is our home. It's not our home. This is the final scripture. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 and 20. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. In other words, they consume everything for themselves. Their glory is in their shame. And then watch this. Look, look at what he says. Their mind is on earthly things. Their mind is on earthly things. Their mind is on earthly things. So, so you want to have a change moment? Put your mind on heavenly things. If God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts, God, let me have your thoughts. Change my thinking. Change me. Then look, what he says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know one day Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back soon. I, I believe it'll be in our lifetime. But even if he doesn't, it's only our lifetime to live. And I'm going to live every day as if Jesus is coming back with an eye on eternity so that when we see him, and this is my job as your pastor, it's not to make you feel good, it, and, and I hope to do it. It's not to make you laugh, and I love when I can do that, but my job is to constantly point you back to him and say, hey, listen, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen, there's more to this life. We got to be rich towards God, not just rich in this life, but rich towards God. Why don't you stand up on your feet? I love what Martin Luther said. He said, I've held many things in my hands and lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Let me pray over you. Father, we thank you for what you're doing.